peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Daniel 5, 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. King Belshazzar had a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines could drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. At that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. As the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale, and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself, and his knees knocked together. The king shouted to bring in the mediums, Chaldeans, and the diviners. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me its interpretation will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain around his neck and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. Then King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face turned pale and his nobles were bewildered. Because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. In the days of your predecessor, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners. Your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, the one the king named Belteshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and intelligence that the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he will give the interpretation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, peace be with you. My name is Timothy Jones, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here at Sojourn Midtown. Well, I want us to understand something that is an important truth, and that is that every human being fears being forgotten. Every human being fears being forgotten. I was reminded of that several years ago when I spent part of a summer building houses in a low-income area in Puerto Rico and building houses for needy families there. And as we were working on this work site day by day by day, there started to be this pattern. And the pattern was this. There were two little girls from the neighborhood that would come up and they would kind of hang out and they would especially do that when I would go to the, the little grocery store to get snacks. And so they'd come up, they'd kind of hang around. And when I went there, they would follow me and they would kind of stand there looking at me while I got the snacks. And so I would buy them snacks as well, give them snacks as well. And this became this day by day by day pattern. They'd follow me to the grocery store whenever that time came that I bought snacks for all the workers and then I would buy them snacks as well. And on the last day of this particular project on these houses, building them, 
I, I told him at the end of the day, I said, you know what? This is going to be our last day. We're not going to get to see you anymore. And I remember very vividly as we drove away, the van windows down. And I remember as we drove away, them going like this saying, no nos olvides, no nos olvides, over and over. Do not forget us. Don't forget us. Don't forget us. And I, and I never have with those two children, but it struck me as I was hearing them call out, no nos olvides. It struck me that that's what we're all calling out. We're all afraid of being forgotten. We are all calling out to the universe, don't forget me in one way or another. We see that in little ways in our lives and in the lives of others. Your child is in the swimming pool and she keeps calling out to you over and over, mommy, see me, mommy, are you watching me? Daddy, are you watching me? What's happening in that? Ultimately, what your child is calling out is don't forget me. Or there's an event to which everyone else is invited and somehow you weren't invited to that. And what you feel is not just a fear of missing out. It's a fear of being forgotten, (laughs) that I'm not noticed, that I'm forgotten. But sometimes it happens in larger ways. You're striving to find a job and nobody seems to notice what you have to offer for a job or there's something that's preventing you from being able to get a job. And it's not just the job and it's not just the paycheck that's gnawing at your soul. It's the thought that nobody notices and nobody remembers me and I'm being forgotten. And it comes in some really deep ways when you're in that time of struggle or of sickness that will not let go and you cry out to God and it seems like the darkness just gets darker and you feel forgotten and all your prayers feel like a dead end and what you're feeling in that is maybe God has forgotten me. What if God's forgotten me? And we're crying out, don't forget me. And so I want you just to ask yourself this this evening, What is it in your life that you fear being forgotten? What does that look like for you, that place in your life that you say, I feel like or I fear being forgotten in this spot in my life? Where is it? Where is it? Now in this text today, if there's anyone who had a reason to feel forgotten, it was Daniel in this text. You see, you read from chapter four to chapter five and you just brush across that, okay, in chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar was the king. Chapter five, Belshazzar is the king. Just go from one to the other. Surely Nebuchadnezzar just passed away at the end of chapter four and then quickly Belshazzar becomes the king. I want you to understand something. Between chapter four and chapter five, there are 30 years, three kings and two military coups in Babylon. It skips a vast amount of history right there. And I want you to think about this to do with Daniel. In chapter four, Daniel is serving the most powerful ruler in the world of that day, Nebuchadnezzar. And he is sufficiently powerful in chapter four that he can call out the pride of the strongest man in the world. That's where Daniel is. When you get to chapter five, The king and his advisors have completely forgotten that Daniel exists. 
They forgot about him. They've forgotten about Daniel. But I want you to understand something. God never forgot Daniel. God never forgot Daniel. In fact, throughout all of this, God never stopped working. And in those moments when it seemed as if Daniel was forgotten, God had not forgotten Daniel. God was working to fulfill his promises in Daniel's life in a way that was greater than Daniel could ever have imagined. But that's not just Daniel's story. That's your story. That's your story. When you feel as if you are forgotten, God has not forgotten you. And he is working to fulfill his promises to you in ways that are greater than you could ever have imagined. That's your story. That's my story. And that's Daniel's story. Every human being fears being forgotten, but God never forgets us. And when we feel forgotten, he is preparing to fulfill his promises in ways greater than we could ever have imagined. Now, this chapter begins with a mysterious message at a party, but this is not just any party. You notice this. There's a thousand nobles and Belshazzar is drinking in front of all these thousand nobles and you may wonder what on earth is going on in Babylon. Well, you've got to understand that Nabonidus is the king and you scratch your head suddenly and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you in the text said Belshazzar was the king and now you just said Nabonidus is the king. Who is Nabonidus? Well, Belshazzar was the king. And so was Nabonidus. Let me tell you a little bit because it helps you understand this text. Belshazzar's father was Nabonidus, and he got really, really wrapped up in the moon god. He was really into the moon god. In fact, he meditated on the moon god so much that it caused conflict between him and the, the, the different people in Babylon, the priests and the royal classes in Babylon who worshiped the main god of Babylon, which was Marduk. And so there's a showdown, we might say, between the moon moon god and Marduk, okay? There's a conflict between that, and it gets so deep, this conflict, that Nabonidus goes 500 miles south to a different city where he can meditate on the moon in peace. And so he leaves his son to run the kingdom, Belshazzar. And so in essence, there are two kings, one who is functionally the king and one who is officially the king, but who is down 500 miles south meditating on the moon god. But all is not well in Babylon at this time. You see, all is not well because the Persian army has invaded Babylon, the Babylonian empire. And not only has the Persian army invaded the Babylonian empire, but it is so severe that Nabonidus has paused his moon god meditations and he has led an army to fight against the Persians. And exactly two days before this banquet, which is recorded in history outside the Bible, two days before this banquet, the army of Nabonidus is defeated 50 miles north of Babylon in the city of Sippar. You can see on the map right here where it is. Sippar, about 50 miles north of Babylon. And so that's where the Persian army is at last report. And they have defeated the forces of Nabonidus. At Sippar. Now, kings are called to be able to protect their people and lead out and risk their lives to protect their people, right? That's what kings are supposed to do then. 
Now, Nabonidus clearly knew that. He led an army out to try to defeat the Persians, and we know that. How do we know that? From the Lord of the Rings is how we know that. We know that from Aragorn and Theoden, who in the Battle of Helm's Deep and in the Battle for Gondor, they are fighting for their people. We know that from Infinity War, where when Wakanda is under attack, T'Challa is out there at the front fighting. We know that from the Lion King. When Simba comes back, he risks his life for his people, but Belshazzar watched all the wrong movies because he clearly doesn't know this. Because Belshazzar, when his people are at risk, Belshazzar does not go out to fight against the enemy. Instead, what Belshazzar does is throws a party that he intends to end in total depravity. Unlimited wine at the party. He has brought in concubines, which in this context is probably women who have been gathered against their will to be exploited. And it says he is drinking in front of everyone. All of this is intended to be a way to display his power and to declare the walls of Babylon will never fall. They can never break through the walls of Babylon. Here's an artist's rendering of what the walls of Babylon probably looked like. A set of walls, then a channel from which the Euphrates River was diverted around the city right there, and then another set of walls. And back there in the palace, Belshazzar having his great feast, and he says, nobody can defeat me. I am beyond that. I don't need to be out there defending my people, I am in a place that nobody can take. And so as he is drinking in front of everyone, he begins to think, what are other ways that I can show my power? What are other ways I can show how powerful I am? And he remembers that once upon a time, There had been this little upstart nation that had claimed that it had a God that was the great God over all gods, and in fact, the only God, and that nation, his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had conquered. Now, in some of your translations, it will say his father, but it's referring to father in the same way that many kings and kingdoms did in that day, which is to somebody who had been the king before you, okay? Nebuchadnezzar wasn't his father, but Nebuchadnezzar had been the king before him. And he remembered that little upstart nation called Israel and Judah, that they had claimed to have one God. And and his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken over that whole region, had taken over Judah, had looted the temple of this God. And so he said, I'm going to show how powerful I am. I'm going to show how powerful Marduk, the god of the Babylonians, and my pantheon of gods is. I am going to call for the cups and the bowls from that temple, and we are going to drink from them and use those to toast the gods of Babylon. And so he does. He does. And it is as if Yahweh, the God of Israel, the only true God, declares, oh yeah, let's see if your gods can do this. And a vision appears by the hand of God of a hand upon the wall and the hand upon the wall begins to write upon the wall. This large plaster wall writes upon it. And it says quite literally there, his loin ligaments let loose. (laughs) 
Now, some of your translations kind of brush over that and have his legs wobbling or something like that. But this is, that's, that's not what it's saying there. He wet himself or worse. You have Belshazzar, who is so big, so bad, so bold a few verses earlier, and suddenly he goes from big, bad, and bold to baby. He turns his loincloth into a diaper. Now, the issue is not that he can't read what the words say. They're in the Aramaic language. He probably can read them quite well. That's not the issue. It's that he doesn't know what they mean for him and his kingdom. And he is trying to find somebody who can tell him what they mean for his kingdom. Now, I think he knows the news is not good. Let's face it. If you're at a fraternity kegger and God shows up and writes something on the wall, it's probably not good news for you. Most likely, it is not God saying, have a nice day, sincerely, God. He knows that this is not good news for him, but he does not know exactly what it means for him. And so he says, whoever can tell me what this means, I will clothe them in a purple robe. I will give them a gold chain. I will make them third in command in my entire kingdom. Why does he say third in command? Because there's already a first and a second both. Nabonidus and Belshazzar, the third is the highest that he can offer. But no one, no one that he brings in can tell Belshazzar what this mysterious message means. And then the queen walks in. And because she walks in, after decades of being forgotten, Daniel is remembered. Now, this is not Belshazzar's queen. This is the queen mother. This is either the wife, the queen of one of the past kings who has passed away, or it may be Belshazzar's mother. Now, if that's his mother, then you know why she's not invited to the party, because this is not the kind of party to which you invite your mama. This is not this type of party. But what's fascinating in the text is that this woman speaks the first words of wisdom in the entire chapter. She speaks the first wise words. This woman who has been pushed aside, she's in the palace, but not invited to the party. She's been pushed aside. And before the night is over, she will be nothing but plunder for the Persian army. And we see by her being the first word of wisdom, a pattern in scripture that we need to pay attention to. And that pattern is how often wisdom is spoken by those who are excluded, ex exiled, marginalized, or forgotten. Often the truth is spoken from the margins. Here's what this should let us know and should remind us of. That we should listen to the wisdom that comes from those that are marginalized. Because in the biblical pattern, often that is where the wisdom comes from. Those who are oppressed, marginalized, vulnerable. And I would go further to say this. Be suspicious of any system that silences the vulnerable. Even if it's a religious system. Be suspicious of systems that silence the vulnerable, because often that is the place from which God speaks his truth. And this woman hears a commotion, and I love what she says in chapter 5 and verse 11. She says, there is a man who has the spirit of the holy gods. There is a man. 
who has the spirit of the holy gods. It's as if she looks at Babylon, or at Belshazzar, there with his knees knocking and his soggy shorts and leaking out the side of his loincloth. And she looks at him and she says, you are no man, but there is a man. <laughs> That's as if what she, she's saying right there. There is a man in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. There is a man who has a different spirit in him There is a man who has in him a spirit of a God that is different than any of what we have in Babylon. And that's what I long for people to say in this city that I love about people from Sojourn, is that I want people to encounter men and women from Sojourn such that in times of crisis, that person may say, there is a woman, there is a man I know, and they have a different spirit than everybody else. I want people to say around town, there is a woman that orders coffee from me every morning and she's not like everybody else. There's a strength and a kindness in her that I don't see from the other customers. I want people to say, there is a man I work with and he's not chasing after power. He's not putting everybody else down. He treats the women in our workplace with respect. He values their voices. He's got something different in him. There is a woman, there is a man, and I don't agree with everything they believe, but they're different and I wish I had what they have. There is a man, there is a woman. That's what I long for people to say and to see in the people from our church. And this woman says, there is a man who has a different spirit and he can do what your advisors cannot. And so we see in verse 13, what happens? Then Daniel, it says, was brought before the king and the king said to him, are you Daniel? Notice what he says. One of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king brought from Judah. So for the first time in decades, Daniel stands before the king. At this point, understand, Daniel is nearly 80 years old and he has every reason to feel forgotten. He has every reason from a human perspective to see himself as someone who is near the end of a dead end street. When he was younger, he risked his life rather than eat the king's food. He interpreted the king's dreams He had access to the throne room of the most powerful man in the world. And 30 years later, the entire royal court, except for one woman who has been pushed aside, has forgotten about him completely. And the way that Belshazzar speaks to Daniel reveals Belshazzar's character and his heart. Because notice what he says. You're one of the Jewish exiles that my predecessor, the king, brought as captives from Judah. Now, the queen mother had said, this is a man in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And Belshazzar gets to that. But he starts out, the first words when he sees Daniel is, you are an exile. You have been conquered. What in essence, Belshazzar is saying, you don't belong here and you aren't part of our structures of power here. That's what he's saying to Daniel at this point. Have you ever had this happen to you? Where someone starts speaking to you and you realize they are never going to see you for who you are. 
They are never going to see past the neighborhood you came from. They are never going to see past the accent you speak with. They are never going to see past your struggles, your gender, the color of your skin. The world around us is full of Belshazzars who are only willing to look at you from the perspective of their structures of power. The world is full of Belshazzars. The world is packed with them. But notice something that is so important. The very thing that Belshazzar sees as the deficiency of Daniel is the truth that sets Daniel free. Because yes, Daniel is in exile. Yes, Babylon is not his home, but because of that, he doesn't need to please the power structures of Babylon because he doesn't belong to Babylon. He doesn't belong to Babylon. And that's true for you even more. If you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are an exile and a citizen of another kingdom. This world is not your home. And that is the truth that sets you free. And so when someone refuses, when they look at you to see past your place in their power structures, let these words well up within you. Yeah, I don't belong here. And because I don't belong here, you can't own me by the way you speak to me. My value does not depend on where I come from. It does not depend on how I speak. It does not depend on the status of my citizenship. It does not depend on the color of my skin. I am the son. I am the daughter of a greater king than you'll ever be in this land is not my home. That's the truth that we can speak in Christ. And the very words that Belshazzar intended to tear Daniel down is the truth that sets Daniel free. He is a citizen of another kingdom and he does not belong to Babylon. And let the words that people intend to tear you down be the words that set you free. Look what happens in response from Daniel in verse 17. It says, Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts, Give your rewards to somebody else. But I will read the inscription for the king. I'll make the interpretation known to him. But he doesn't quite yet. He says, has some other things to say first. And here's what he says, verse 18. Your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. And because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. He killed anyone he wanted, kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted, humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven away from people. His mind became like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the most high God is the ruler over human kingdoms and sets anyone he wants over them. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, You've not humbled your heart, though you knew this. 
Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens and the vessels from his house were brought to you. And as you and your nobles and wives and concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand and this writing was inscribed. What we see here first is that Daniel refuses to be a prophet for profit. Daniel's a non-profit prophet because when he's offered things for being a prophet and for speaking prophetic words, he says, I don't need what you have to give me. But it's interesting because in the past, Daniel has accepted positions of power. And what we see here is that it is not wrong for us to use the world's power as long as that power doesn't begin to use us. But in this context, in this situation, the position of power could have put Daniel in a place that might make him less likely to speak the truth. And Daniel will not allow his God or his beliefs to be part of the propaganda machine of a politician. And so he says, no in this instance. And it must have been so tempting for him to speak words that Belshazzar would have liked to have heard. Because you see, if this kingdom doesn't fall this night, Belshazzar knows Daniel's view of him. And he has remembered Daniel if he didn't remember him before. And Daniel has put himself on the wrong side of the person in power and lost his chance to be third in command if this kingdom does not fall this night. Do you realize how tempting it must have been for Daniel to speak something other than God's truth? He's faced with this temptation, but he speaks the truth regardless of the cost, and then he interprets the message. Verse 25, this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. Peres means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. These words mean numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. That's what it says. Numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. And he says what this means is that God has thoroughly assessed you. He has thoroughly assessed your kingdom. And this night, your kingdom will be divided and broken into pieces. And it is. It is. Verse 29, Belshazzar gave an order. They clothed Daniel in purple, placed the gold chain around his neck, issued a proclamation concerning him that he was the third ruler in the kingdom. But that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. So over Daniel's protests, they bring the purple robe and lay it over him anyway. But Babylon has already fallen. And we know from history the very date of this banquet. The very date of this banquet that's testified to in at least two other historians outside of the Old Testament. It happened on October 12th of the year 539. 
And what happened for them to be able to take the impregnable city of Babylon is they began digging and they filled up part of the Euphrates River and built a channel to divert part of the Euphrates River. And what it did, if we can look up here, you see this canal around the city. It lowered the water level of the canal to the point that the soldiers could just wade right into the city. And they did. You can see an artist's recreation of this, of all these soldiers going there with their ladders, setting it up and going straight into the city. That's what happened on October 12th of 539 BC. By this point, Babylon has been the greatest power in the world for 113 years. And 50 years before this moment, they had brought horrific suffering on the Israelites when they took over the city of Jerusalem. And about that time, regarding that time, Isaiah the prophet wrote in Isaiah 13, 19, he said, Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the pride of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrows them. And when Isaiah wrote those words, they had to have seemed ridiculous. How could Babylon ever fall? Babylon can't fall, but Babylon does fall. And all those years, that it seemed as if Daniel was forgotten. God was preparing to fulfill his promises to Daniel in a way that Daniel could never have imagined. But of course, this story is not ultimately about Babylon. It's not ultimately about Daniel, and it's certainly not ultimately about you or me. Every story in the Old Testament is ultimately about Jesus and points forward to Jesus And this was fulfilled in Jesus, another prophet who was more than a prophet. He didn't merely speak the words of God. He was the word of God. He was God in human flesh, and he was the true king. And 600 years after this night in Babylon, Jesus would stand before the rulers of this world and reject their offers of power, and they would clothe him in a purple robe he never asked for. Mark chapter 15, we see that happening. But they did not do that to be able to praise him. They did that to mock him. And the next day, the death of Jesus would mark the end of the power of the kingdoms of this world. And three days later, a new kingdom would dawn a kingdom that will never end. And it dawned with the king bursting forth from an empty grave. And if you've trusted Jesus, your ultimate citizenship is in that kingdom. That's the kingdom you belong to. So what do we do with all these truths that we talked about from this text? I want you to get three different truths and work them into your life. Here's the first one. Human kingdoms are fragile. Hold them loosely. Human kingdoms are fragile. Hold them loosely. Human kingdoms are fragile things. Babylon, that place that they thought could never fall, it fell. And as I think about this, I think first about our personal kingdoms. 
Many of us, if we're honest, let's just own it, we feel really secure with what we have. We pray the Lord's Prayer, but give us this day our daily bread, our day-by-day bread. And we don't take that seriously. Because after all, we've got enough bread to last us a week, not a day. And if the bread were to run out, we've got enough canned goods and frozen food for a month. We don't feel like we need daily bread. But here's what I want you to see. All of that security is an illusion. It's all an illusion. Human kingdoms are fragile. Do you realize your one medical emergency, one accident, one spark, one bad encounter with law enforcement, one unjust choice by a boss from having no kingdom left? None of us, none of us have a kingdom that is secure. None of us. And when we feel like we do, it's an illusion. It's a lie that we lie to ourselves and think we are so secure. And there are none of us that are secure in the things that we have built in our own kingdoms. And God just reminded me of this just a few months ago. What seemed like a minor accident in our family a few months ago turned into a point in our lives where for three or four weeks, we were literally on the edge of dealing with life and death at times. And I was reminded of how exactly it can seem that you're so secure and one little thing can strip all of that security away. Verse 23, Daniel says to Belshazzar, God holds your very breath in his hands. And I don't say all of this to make us people of fear. I say this to make us people of faith and to recognize everything we have is a gift and we do not know how long we have those gifts. So enjoy them. Be grateful to God for them. Praise God that you have them, but be ready to praise God when you don't. Human kingdoms are fragile. Hold them loosely. Second, human power is passing. Never compromise the capacity to speak the truth. When Daniel faced a point at which receiving power from a king would have led to compromise, Daniel rejected it. Because Daniel knew it's really difficult to have your picture taken with Belshazzar in his throne room and still speak the truth to Belshazzar when he defies God's word or falls short of God's justice. And we need to hear this in the church because evangelicals have been panting for decades like pathetic puppies after celebrity and power of being connected with those in power, being connected with those in popularity. Why have we done this? Because we have that fear that I talked about early of being forgotten. What if those in power overlook us? What if those who are popular don't remember us? And we don't realize and don't live as if we believe that we have the greatest power of all, which is the gospel, the power of God for salvation for whoever will believe. And because of that, 
We don't recognize that the implications of the gospel will never fit neatly in any human political system. You see, the justice that flows from the gospel will call us to give critiques to both the right and the left politically. We can't fit neatly in either of those. If Jesus lines up completely in your mind with any particular political party, you don't have Jesus, you've got a mascot. That's what you've got. And so often, we as Christians have had the idea that if only we get the right candidate, the right justices, the right people, and the right places, that everything will be good. And so we tie our Christian faith to one side or the other politically, and what we end up doing is compromising on one side of the political continuum and raging against those on the other side. But remember, all of these structures are part of powers and kingdoms that are passing away. Do you realize America is not forever? Your citizenship in this place is not what matters most. Do you realize that if Jesus does not return, all of those buildings and monuments in Washington, D.C. will one day be nothing more than the hollowed out ruins of a kingdom that once was. This is not forever. And because we belong to a greater kingdom, we will never fit neatly into the world's structures of politics and power. And we forget sometimes that the greatest power in the world is not a national power, but gospel power. And we serve a king in heaven whose power will never run out, who never has to run for office and his term in office will never end. And because we are citizens of his kingdom, we are free to say no to any power that may keep us from speaking truth to power. We can say no to that. If we don't get this truth, in 2019, we will not make it through 2020. That I do not belong to these systems. I don't belong to them. The last truth I want you to get is to look for the writing on the wall and remember that God never forgets. All those years that it seemed like Daniel was forgotten. God was simply preparing to give his promises to Daniel in a way that was greater than Daniel could ever have imagined. You think about, where's my writing on the wall? How do I know God hasn't forgotten me? And I think of a beautiful text in scripture, Isaiah chapter 49. And in verse 15 of Isaiah chapter 49, God says to his people, could I ever forget you? Even if a mother should forget her child, I would never forget you. And then he says in 49, 16 of Isaiah, he says, I cannot forget you because I have cut you into the very palms of my hands. Now, in light of Jesus, that takes on a very different meaning. Because on, in Jesus... And the scars that he bore are the memory of you. He says, I have had the memory of you put into my very flesh. God cannot forget you. And you may wonder where your writing on the wall is. And it is in the living, risen, but scarred body of Jesus.
There's your writing on the wall. That's yours. He will not forget you in your old age. He will not forget you in your loneliness. He does not forget you in your sickness. He does not forget you. I remember several years ago, my father was, was dying of brain cancer. And in the midst of, of just going, driving back and forth, Louisville to southern Missouri, back and forth, back and forth, over and over. And each time we went, he remembered less and less. So gradually he forgot the names of his grandchildren and then of his children. And then he didn't speak at all anymore. He forgot little by little. And we had had conversations with our children about how it's necessary for somebody to, to have faith in Jesus, to profess faith in Jesus, to have a right relationship with God and be with him forever. So one of our children, on one of those many trips back and forth, she kind of piped up from the back seat and asked a question that was clear she'd been thinking about for a while. And she said, what if Grandpa forgets Jesus before he dies? What if he forgets? And I never really quite thought of it that way. But what I said back, and it's what I think is true, even if Grandpa forgets Jesus, Jesus will never forget him. That's the truth. Even if we were to forget he does not. He does not. All of us are crying out to the universe, no nos olvides, don't forget us. Don't forget me. And God, to those who are in Christ, calls back to us. I don't, I won't, I can't. You may be in a place in your life right now that you just feel like I am at a dead end I've been forgotten, and I'm just at a complete dead end, and I don't know where to go from here. I want to give you an image to remember as you think about that. Have you ever thought of the fact that the end of an airport runway is a dead end? It is. It's a dead end. But the reason the end of an airport runway is a dead end is because those on the runway are aimed for something higher. And when it seems like you're forgotten, when it seems like all there is for you is a dead end, it's not because you've been forgotten. It only looks like a dead end because God has you aimed somewhere higher. So don't give up. Don't give in. Instead, get ready to fly. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would... Remind us ever and always of the truth that you do not forget us. Thank you for your mercy in recognizing we are weak. We are fragile and we forget. But God, let us trust you. Let us trust you from such a depth that we are confident that you do not forget us. In your name we pray, amen.